The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Interview. 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 Who am I speaking with? Yo, this is Fat Tony. I'm an artist from Houston, Texas. And uh, Fat Tony, uh, did you give yourself that name? You know what? Unfortunately, I did give myself that name. It's, it's kind of lame. I wish I had a nickname that other people gave me, but... People haven't really given me a lot of nicknames over the years, and I know thousands of people. So what the fuck? <laughs> uh, here's my question. So how how long have you gone by Fat Tony? Like how many years has it been? I started using the name Fat Tony. I want to say in 2001 when I was in middle school. Okay, okay. So so where does that name come from? Well, I would say that at first came to my attention from The Simpsons. I was a big Simpsons fan growing up, but really what cemented it for me was one day I was watching TV, I was watching TRL, and Blink-182 were promoting their new album at the time, Take Off Your Pants and and Jacket. And I was a big Blink-182 fan, and um, they had some kind of contest where a band could come visit them in the studio. And the band that won the contest was some pop punk band from Pennsylvania named Fat Tony. And I was like, wow, I've never seen Fat Tony used outside of The Simpsons. Like, I think I had no idea that Fat Tony was about an actual mob guy. I only knew it as a Simpsons character. And I grew up chubby, fat boy. So I gravitated toward that name after seeing Blink-22 bring these boys on MTV. And the next day I went to class, I believe it was P.E., you know, and I went to one of those real hectic middle schools where kids fight a lot and were bad, like the kind of schools that in the 90s, they make a movie about <laughs> like the white teacher coming to understand the kids in the hood. Right. Got it. And um, we were watching Scared Straight or something like that in my PE class. And um, we had like pizza or something. And I doodled on a cup, Fat Tony. And my friend next to me just started calling me that. And that's when I took on the name Fat Tony. And we were all trying to be rappers at that time, too. And I was looking for a name because my rap name then was really boring. So Fat Tony just became me. I think uh, I love that story. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Uh, You were so you were already rapping with your friends when you gave yourself this name. That was already something you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the main instigator trying to get my friends to make music pretty much then. And now I'm the one trying to push everybody to take music seriously. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can relate to that. Yes, I do know what you mean. Uh, so you've been rapping then for most of your life. You've been making music for most of your life. Uh, I, maybe there's no answer to this question, but what, what inspired you then and what inspires you now? Like, what makes you want to create? What makes what makes you want to rap? I I think it's being just like, just honestly, just being a music lover, like being absolutely obsessed with music. As a kid, I feel like I spent a lot of time by myself. Like when I was not in school. I didn't really hang out with people in my neighborhood or like see friends on like the weekends or like after school. So anytime I wasn't in uh, school, I was probably at home on my computer or watching TV. And on my computer, I would just overload myself with music history from from hip hop history 
to punk history, to like electronic music, to Prince, just Michael Jackson, any artist or any style of music that I liked, I did a deep dive on it and I downloaded thousands of MP3s. I printed out articles. I brought them to school to show my friends, like every project I, I could do at school around music, I would do it. Music was just the end all be all. And it wasn't like at that time, I thought that music was what I want to do as a professional. It was just the thing I found most interesting out of everything else in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think I still feel the same way right now, honestly. Um, you know, and I, and I think over time, I started to make friends through music. So I kind of went from being like a kid that was kind of lonely to finding my own community through being a music fan and being an artist. And I think that is what still drives me to do it right now. The love of music and the community that I've created from it. Mm -hmm. uh, we are so lucky that when we came up when we were teenagers, because we had access to so much more music for free than the people before us. And I think it's amazing, you know, you were talking about downloading tons of MP3s. I mean, that's such an amazing thing to have been able to do because whatever oh, yeah. we were interested in, you could just go out there and hear it, you know? Yeah. And I would download like as much of like, like say I wanted to get into a band like the misfits, I would download like, 10 songs that I would read about that were cited as the most popular. You know, I would look to see what people were like saying about the band on message boards. I'd read allmusic.com, just anywhere that I could look. I'd download those songs. And if I liked it, then I'd go buy the actual CD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I mean, for me, it was, it, it didn't even register as uh, like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I bought as much music as I downloaded. I went to every concert that anyone would take me to, you know, I just, I just was all, all consuming, consuming it all as much as humanly possible. What was your first concert? Uh, blues fest in Houston at the arena. I don't know if that place is still around. You like know, a real Texan. Yeah. You're like about the Astro arena, right? No, no, no. It's uh it's uh it was this venue that was, they had a stage that rotated. Oh, the fucking arena theater. You remember I that place? There. I went yep. to a Young Jeezy concert there one day. I went, yeah. So I went to that uh, with my dad and I I was getting into guitar, right? I was getting really into guitar and my dad was like, man, you like, you. we need to show you what real guitar playing is. So he took me there and uh, I saw Buddy Guy play. Wow. And Buddy Guy came out into the audience and it was definitely part of his shtick, but he 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 took my hand and he used my hand to pick while he did a guitar solo wow that's and, cool <laughs> and it, i i definitely left and was like that's the greatest feeling of my whole life i gotta do this forever you know i think i was 10 or 11 and then you know like every houstonian i also went to the the rodeo? To the, the rodeo yeah that's what i was looking for which yeah, yeah. Know, i'm trying to remember that was at the astrodome right before yes. it moved to Reliant. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, those are my early concerts. But I also I also would go to BuzzFest. I think the radio, that's 94.5. Yeah, I've yeah, I've been to a few of those. Yep. That was very cool. I did not realize how unique that was uh to have a radio station that had shows like that. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
The other thing though, and I think this is part of what makes your, your name, uh, your name calls back to this, at least to me, but I feel like I'm not alone in this is that part of what made growing up in Houston so special is that there was this hip hop scene there that was unlike anything else. Uh, it was very unique and I didn't realize how special it was to have chopped and screwed music. But, you know, it, it, it was getting passed, right? Because we could just get it for free, downloading it, sharing stuff, and then and then getting a little more into the culture. You could go buy these mixes, right? Yeah. Uh, but that was so spe- that was so unique and so special to live in a city where like something that original was happening. And just I had no sense that it was bigger than Houston, you know, to no, me. Totally. Yeah. I. Cause I remember, I remember when the Texans, uh, with the first Texans game ever, I had just gotten my driver's license. And so me and my friends drove over there just to see, you know, what it was like. And we saw a uh, little flip who had released that record the day the Texans first game was, and he was driving down the street performing out of his car. Wow. Man, yeah, that, man, Flip. My uh, one of one of my best friends back then grew up in uh, Cloverland, and his older sister went to Worthing, which was the high school right up the street from my school, Carnegie Vanguard, okay. which is now in like a different part of Houston. But when I went there, it was still on the south side of Houston, and it was in Sunnyside. And any anyway, my homeboy's sister went to Worthing. And went to school with Flip, and I think she like dated Flip, and she was a few years older than us. Flip was probably like, Flip's probably like five to seven years older than us. So when we're in middle school, we're like hearing about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that used to always blow my mind that I knew someone that kind of knew Flip because he wild. was one of my favorite artists growing up. Mm-hmm. And I and I definitely think you know the Fat Tony name. Now I like to look at it as a way to pay homage to fat pad and big pokey and to all those artists with those kind of names from that 90s houston era you know yeah. what i mean i think what makes your name fun and it, do, it does pay homage to it but i think the fact that your music is not like obviously hearkening back to that makes it playful and fun I'm, I'm curious how you feel about that do you feel like uh how did that that scene influence you as an artist or did it, it made at all. me want to be a rapper? It influenced really? me tremendously. It made me want to be an artist. I'm, I mean, I think that I'm lucky that I grew up in a place that had such a defined music scene for rap music that I didn't have to think it was, you know, a far off dream to become an artist because I saw famous artists from my own city on the local stage and on the national stage my whole life from Scarface. Mm-hmm. Like, like I remember when uh, Fat Pat got killed. I was a Fat Pat fan and my mom told me about it when, when she picked me up from school. I must have been in third grade. And like she felt really bad for me because I was sad about it. And then she took me to Whataburger. Um, I was just yeah. I was just a fan of rap music from from day one, especially the local stuff from from young star knocking pictures off the wall. Lil Kiki, Southside, Devin, the dude, Scarface. Mm-hmm. Like these are some of my first favorite artists and first songs that I memorized ever. 
Yeah. I, I think I was, I was getting, I was getting this lesson from two places, but you know, that, that music was so big and so important in Houston. And at the same time, I was really getting into indie rock and like DIY kind of punk culture. And I think one of the things that I didn't realize what a big effect it had on me until I got older is just this idea that like, you don't necessarily have to be bigger than your hometown. You can just, you can make a scene with your your friends. You can make a scene with your peers and the people will come to you. You know, I think when you don't grow up in like an entertainment hub, it's easy to think that, um, success and a career are like, are, are far away. Like you got to move somewhere. And I think growing up in Houston in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, I was getting the opposite message from all the music that I was listening to. Like, were you into Saddle Creek? Did you like the Saddle Creek label with like bright eyes and all that stuff? I was not into Saddle Creek. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I have nothing but love for that branch of emo music. <laughs> I don't know that I will. I, uh, to be honest with you, I can't vouch for the music anymore. But the fact that all these guys started a record label and, you know, just were playing in their friends' garages and then graduated to clubs and then started touring the country, like that was immensely inspiring to me. Uh, yeah, I feel like my my version of that growing up you know, there's like screwed up click, which is the first mm -hmm. group that I really saw that was like, it's not just a group, but it's several solo artists, several duos, several side projects, all under this one umbrella, kind of, kind of like odd future or something. Yep. And I was also really into underground rap in um, high school and I loved project blowed. I loved the freestyle fellowship. I was a fan of bus driver uh cve all that super underground la 90s rap music that was another thing i saw like wow project blowed is this amazing crew of artists who are very different from every other rap artist out there but within this clique they all have their own styles like some of them are rapping fast some of them are rapping in a sing song style which wasn't the norm there some of them are rapping slow some of them are like really christian and don't cuss like pigeon john you know project blow screwed up click those are probably two of the first big music crews that i saw that i was like wow this is yeah. amazing yeah yeah uh, do you think of yourself as prolific Hell yeah, man. I've made too much music. Man, I got mad albums. I got like 40 or 50 music videos. Yeah. And I'm still churning them out. I definitely like to make a lot of stuff. I I think you're prolific. So I'm glad I'm glad you didn't say, no, I don't make enough. Cause I feel like you are very prolific. You do you, I mean, you've already put out four singles this year. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like just put out an EP yesterday. Yeah, the you did. EP featuring a Twin Shadow remix and a Blockhead remix. Now that's an underground guy. Love it. Um, but but yeah, I'm. You know, I kind of feel like there was this period in in my life where I didn't put out a lot of music, which is like from 2014 to like 2017. Those three years, I didn't put out an album. I only put out a few songs. And I really regret doing that. And I feel like at that time, I was so in my head about what to put out and how to put it out that I feel like I personally 
lost a lot of momentum by overthinking and not just doing. Granted, I, I made tons of music during that time. Like I probably made several albums worth of music, but I just didn't put it out. I just wasn't. I was trying to hold off on this situation that felt perfect. But I think to get to the situation that feels perfect, you have to keep going. You can't just stop and just wait for it to happen because that because that momentum of putting out stuff regularly, going on tour, you know, it, it all has to work together. Like I remember when I went on a tour during that time, it didn't do well because I didn't really have nothing new out. And yeah. my agent was pushing me to drop an album that I wouldn't drop. I, I just couldn't bring myself to doing anything. I was too scared of putting out something that was whack or mid. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think that um, the right way to do it is to finish your projects and just keep it moving. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing is like, uh, how I would put it is, you know, not have a scarcity mentality and not be a perfectionist in the, you know, trying to find the exact right way to put this thing out, make sure everything's a hundred percent perfect. You know, whereas if you're, if you're moving and there's momentum, it all just works better. You know, more people hear it. It's more satisfying creatively. You can go on tour, just not act like every song or release is the most precious thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I see that too. I mean, uh, you know, we did this track together, me, you, uh, Jim, Golden Eye. Yes. Uh, back in, I think it was August. Yeah, so you, August 2021. You came down, you did our artist in residence program. And at the time, you were about to go on tour. And I knew that you were going to be working on more music with Golden Eye shortly thereafter. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw you more recently because you were in town. Uh, with Cam Franklin, and we were working on something for a totally different project. But in that time, you mentioned, I mean, a lot of music that you're working on. A lot of music. (laughs) Like, I don't often talk to people who are working on more more things than I am. And I was like, damn, this guy is fucking busy. (laughs) It's great. I think it's awesome. And I just go through phases like there's times where I'm not making much at all. And then I'll get the bug and I'll make a lot at once or or a lot in like a span of a few months. And this time around, when I was looking at the several projects that I'm working on right now, I just took a step back and I looked at the calendar for 2022 and I decided to isolate. All right, during these six months, I'm going to work on this. During these three months, I'm going to work on this. During this two-month period, I want to go on tour and put out something. During And then after that, I want to finish this project. That's for next year. So I'm really trying to just stack it up because I do want to be the kind of artist that can put out several projects back to back to back, which is what I started doing in 2020. At the top of 2020, I put out the Wake Up album with Tadex. And at the end of 2020, I dropped an album produced by Gold and I called Exotica. And I loved having two very different styles of projects come out at two ends of the year. And I like to keep that going. Just keep coming out with one or two projects or more every year and just stay on a good run where I can give people like the whole breadth of what I want to do with all of my producers, all of my collaborators, all these different styles and modes that I like to express myself in. Let me let it all out. 
I love that. I think that that's inspiring to me. I love hearing that. So you made this song with us, this song, Sugar Daddy. Uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay. What, what was this confession about? So we got a confession from a young woman saying that she was in a relationship that wasn't going well. She was very unhappy. Her partner at the time, he was kind of a bummer. <laughs> he was just always in like a bad mood or something. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't getting better, you know. And she started um, sugar dating, which is a term I hadn't heard before, where basically she would go on dates with uh, typically an older man that had some money and he'd pay for everything and pay for her time and just have like a nice night out. And then she would go home. I don't think that she was like hooking up or taking it further. It was just for the company. Right. But during that whole time of, of uh, sugar dating, she met a man that she fell in love with and she ended up leaving her boyfriend, getting with this guy. And at the time of the recording, they were still dating And she was saying that, you know, she felt kind of a bit of shame to be sugar dating, which I think is wrong. There's no reason to feel shame about that or pretty much anything, honestly. But she felt shame about how they met, even though it had turned into a great relationship. Mm -hmm. And me and Goldeneye wanted to make a song that was all about how the way that we met means nothing to me it means nothing to how much i love you to how much i love being with you to how much i feel we are right together and no matter the circumstances that we met i'm here for you i'm down for you i want to be with you you're i i I feel like you guys succeeded in capturing that in the lyrics for sure and the music uh it's it is a celebration of the love that they have like hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I can't think of it. There's not even a single really moment of like any doubt or shame coming from, I mean, okay, let me roll back for a second. This, this is from the perspective of the guy, right? Yeah. We were writing from the perspective of the new boyfriend talking to her, telling her that it's all good. She has nothing to worry about. She's kind of overthinking it, tripping mm-hmm. on herself, and she's and she needs to just let it go and yeah. just let this love be because what we got is a great thing. Yeah, I think y'all succeeded in capturing that in the song because it it is a, a total affirmation of the what they have, but also musically, it musically the song captures that frantic uh, passion intensity. Mm. that that uh, I think you feel when you're first starting to feel in love with someone or when you just, re- you're really reminded of how much you want them and care about them. Uh, it, the music really captures that. That is totally. something I think is very cool about the song. Thank you, man. So, so in this, in this tune, so we basically there's a drum machine, there's acoustic drums, which were played by Zach. I play a little guitar and keyboard. Goldeneye played a lot of keyboard. And you rapped and it came together really quickly. Now I'm curious because I just don't remember. Did you guys have any of these ideas before we got into the studio? So when I woke up, I made a voice memo 
on my phone of like a drum pattern, just like a beatbox. And when I came into the studio, I used your drum machine to lay that down, found a tempo I liked, and then I let GoldenEye take over. And he started writing like the lead lines and then pretty much guiding y'all on what to play on you and Zach's instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one one thing that that stuck out to me was when you were recording this vocal, you were writing it at the same time. So yeah. you didn't write all the lyrics and then and then just get in there and try to do a performance of the whole song. You were li- you were going line by line. And I can say that from my experience, and I know it's the same for Jim, that's just not usually how it is. Usually, you know, someone comes in and they, they kind of have it all and then they're just doing passes. I'm curious if you always do it that way or if that's a process you've arrived at over the years. I almost always do it that way. Um, Why? Why do you think so? I think, one, I look at it as living in that song, right? And when you're really living in the song, it can guide you on how to write it best. Because I think when I'm going line line by line and I'm hearing it back, you know, my brain, our brains know what should come next. People that write songs, people that have listened to thousands of hours of music, we kind of know what is going to feel good, whether it's like what the next cadence should be or lyrically, what is the most logical thing to say next. And I think sometimes when I'm just writing at at home, I can kind of get into a mode where I'm doing too much or I'm overthinking and I'm and I'm and I'm kind of getting away from what music should do, which is just a conversation between you and the listener. It should flow in a logical way from, oh, this person said this, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened, and then that happened, and it just feels right. Mm-hmm. I can get lost in that if I'm not doing it live in the studio because there's like the pressure of actually doing it there. There's the feeling of like our adrenaline's up. We're all on fire, all feeling good about this. So I think just some of my best work is when I write it right there on the spot. And then I step back, listen to it and make edits if I need to later. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, you know, hearing you describe it that way, it sounds like the most obvious thing. I think, uh, it, I think a lot of songs, I say this as a producer more than anything, a lot of songs and a lot of lyrics could benefit from that, you know, really just digging into what the, what the vibe is of the track as you're doing it, instead of just trying to lay over your, your poetry, you know, I'm granted there are a lot of songs, yeah. that way, but uh, sometimes it feels like, I don't know. It doesn't, it's some, a lot of songs suffer from not actually sounding good coming out of someone's mouth who's singing it or rapping it. And that's a great way to circumvent that. Just like think about how people made music way back in the day before you could even record it. It had to be something that could stick with you, that could stick with the listener too. Mm -hmm. something that people could memorize word for word. And I think that's why some of those older tunes are some of the best songwriting ever, because it's just straight up. It, It just gets to the point without wasting time the way a lot of music does 
in like the last 50 years or so where like it's all about really just just like indulging your own ego or your own self and just kind of doing too much within a song you know mm. what i mean sure. i hate that i am not a fan of overblown drawn out songs drawn out albums that don't need all the pieces that they're putting into it mm -hmm. sometimes people try to put too much into their music because they're thinking that's that's what you're supposed to do to be seen as quote unquote great you know everybody i feel like a lot of songwriters are kind of ruined by canon by thinking that you know if if your music doesn't match up to the quote unquote greats then it's not good. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a fallacy and a trap that a lot of artists get into. Like a lot of artists sound like they're making mu music just so you can say, oh, wow, this is excellence. You know what I mean? And especially since like, you know, Kanye put out the Dark Fantasy album, you know, artists like Kendrick Lamar, I feel like since that Kanye album came out and the dawn of Kendrick's music career, mm -hmm. a lot of people in rap music try to follow that. Like there's certain tropes that you need to do for it to be seen as a great album, mm -hmm. you know, sampling a certain way, like all these different nods to like making it musical or whatever. And I think a lot of time it loses the soul, it loses the sauce, and it's not really a representation of your authentic experience as a songwriter which is what the listeners want. They want you, no matter what that you is, if, if, if it's you and it feels real, people will gravitate towards it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and also like it, it it's just so hard. <laughs> it's just so hard to make one thing that's really great and have it do I mean, I think my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is amazing. I think damn is amazing. I think there's some of the, you know, to pin butterfly, those are three of the best records in the last 15 years, regardless of genre, but to actually have the, the resources to make something like that. It's so rare, you know, I, as an artist, I don't know. I don't know how that's satisfying. It's like you make something like that once and then how do you do it again? You know, like, it just, it takes you so far away from the song, you know, it takes you so far in creation when like, you're just trying to put something out like that every couple of years. Doesn't feel real, man. Doesn't feel like real music. It feels like you're trying too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when you fail, <laughs> like, when it doesn't live up to those standards. Um, I, I, I think we kind of got to everything in the confession. Oh yeah. I got a couple more questions about, about, the uh the song are there any lyrics from this this track that stick out to you that you're particularly proud of you and me we're a match don't need no light don't need no match how we met ain't a threat you my light don't need no match i like that um chorus that golden i came up with i like the imagery in it i think it's cool you know what i mean yeah it's very um, romantic I love telling her that uh, she looks like a Playboy poster. I'm just showing my age. Um, what else did I say? I'm, I'm like looking at my lyrics now. Um, they say lightning likely never striking twice on the same tree, but I'm coming on the double when you hit me twice a week. 
just love the reference to the number two a few times just <laughs> for, for, for like no damn reason just doubling up oh i oh, i love that i mentioned gwen from no doubt mm-hmm. you might think i'm gwen because i've got no doubt in my mind mm. I think the lyrics are fantastic to this song. And Second I, verse, I keep with it. Never thought twice about it. I'm back with the twos. I am really sticking to the number two. Even though this girl is my first choice and not my second, I'm littering these lyrics with the number two. I love it. Uh, I mean, man, what else is there to talk about about this song? I got the chef personally coming to make you a plate. Check me out. Never thought twice about it. I'm about it. I'm a shout it. Even if the place is crowded, got my heart on my sleeve, but under that sleeve is an ace. Cause tonight's the anniversary and we got a date at your favorite restaurant. You know, I rented the place, got the chef personally coming to make you a plate. After that, we about to get on a plane, little ride over the ocean for an island vacay. Tell your boss that tomorrow you for sure coming late. Matter of fact, tell that motherfucker you need a raise. Yeah, I'm I'm always advocating for, um, you know, higher wages. You know, people need to get paid. Man, I, I, I was I thought you were maybe just going to go through the entire song. And I was like, this is like my private uh, Fat Tony poetry reading of this track. I mean. I'm obsessed with uh, rapping. (laughs) I am obsessed with it. You know, I'm working on some new music now. You know, I wrote some the other day saying, um, I can blow a kiss and make your orgasm. Gotta plead the fifth if the court asking. I don't want to live in Calabasas. My girlfriend about to get her master's. I don't want to buy designer. If it's on me, then a nigga gotta find it. Drank mezcal to I lose count. Tay on the beat so you know it's gone bounce. What now? We done ran through the whole ounce. My fuck around turned the crib to a grow house. If you didn't know then, but you know now. We the ones to call if it's gonna go down. What what can you do as a lyricist and as a rapper? What, what do you think that you do particularly well? Like what's special about what you bring to it? I'm on one and I'm off several. Marinate and let the sauce settle. Got a drink with a rose petal. Feeling sexier than ever. I was pulled like Alan Edgar till I had to step it up another level. Now I'm living how I wanna. It's like I woke up from a coma. I don't know. I like to do a lot of uh, a <laughs> lot of like uh, you know pop culture references. I love to reference shit in my lyrics that I like, whether it's you know a fucking novelist or it's a movie or it's a song or it's a band name. I feel like through those little trinkets. You get to see who I am, where I'm from, what what I'm into, what I grew up on. You know, those are like little nuggets, like the super fans that actually read the lyrics, you know. I think something you do well uh, as a rapper and as a lyricist is that you uh, you talk about love in a way that's compelling, whether it's romantic or whether it's long term or something like that. You do that very well. Oh, man, got to, man. Love is everything. I mean, I feel like. I like to say my music is all about the human condition. You know what I mean? It's all about the things that we go through, the things that like the every man goes through. Mm -hmm. And I like to talk about things without putting a judgment on it. You know, none of my songs are about, you know, one's morals or telling folks what to do. That's totally up to you, the audience, to figure out what to take from this song. 
I just want to describe what is happening. You know, I am a realist when, when it comes to my lyrics, you know, like songs like BKNY, I'm just describing a situation. Many of my songs are just describing maybe in a matter of fact way what is going on. But I think that kind of storytelling is deep enough to bring on all kinds of emotions. Mm-hmm. What's what's what do we have to look forward to from you? What's coming up? So me and Tay Dex are working on a new album. We put out Wake Up in 2020. We're working on a new project now. Mm-hmm. Me and Gold and I are working on a new album called Nightlife. Um, and I've got some other stuff that I'm working on that I probably shouldn't talk about yet with some mm-hmm. famous people. Cool. But um, hopefully all this new music will be coming out this year and 2023. Love that. So you got a ton of new music. Any any non-musical stuff that you can mention that you're working on? Um, here's a cool thing. Me and Taydex have a song in a movie. It's an Amazon movie called Emergency that comes out in May. And uh-huh. our song, Big Ego, opens the movie and plays for a full minute and 30 seconds soon as the movie starts, which is exciting. You know, I've 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 had songs and some stuff before, but never anything this big. Mm-hmm. And on, you know, on a related note, I'm always pushing more, you know, TV shit. You know, I'm trying to do more TV, film, pitching projects. I'm pitching shit left and right, trying to bring my uh, show Thrift Hall back and more. What do you, what are you doing in your personal life? What are you working on in your personal life that that's not not on stage, not in the public? What's something that you're you're striving for? I was just thinking about the future. You know, my girlfriend is in law school and in grad school now. So I'm just thinking a lot about what our next moves are going to be, where we're going to live next, thinking about having kids, just like the kind of life stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I would say that music is at the foundation of all that. Because this is what's brought me every dollar I've ever made since I was a grown man. And it's opened up my life to so many opportunities. So wherever my music's going, that's where my personal life's going next to. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything that we forgot? Anything else you want to mention? I would like to mention that um, this session was so important for me making this song because it was the first time that me and Goldeneye had hooked up to make music since my last album, Exotica. And um, I was really looking for us to be in a room like this where we had other people to play with us, where we could have some live instrumentation happening and just really try to push it. And this session showed me that it was possible showed me that we could do it in a cool way and come up with music that is still us, but feels bigger. So I thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I love hearing that. And also we had a fucking blast working on this song. And I, I think Jim's mix is amazing. Uh, yes. And, yes, it is. And I also think that Chris Longwood, who mastered it, I mean, he brought something out of the song too that I didn't even. It, he it was already sounded perfect to me, and then he added something. New. He added another layer. I'm like, man, it sounds so good. Chris Longwood, I know that's right. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, man. Well, I think that's it, dude. Thank you for doing this, and I, this interview is great. People are gonna love love hearing. Thank you, man. And I love you too. 
Song Confessional podcast is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Jim Eno, Rylan Kettery, Adam Mason, Mike Lee, and brought to you by KUTX.